I'm Carlos Braceros, Executive Director of the Utah Department of Transportation, and this is the 111th episode of Beyond the Barrel. All right, everybody, welcome back to Beyond the Barrels. Despite what you just heard, it's actually episode number 28. But we'll talk about why Carlos said it was episode 111. I've in, got 111 in my mind, Matt. You do have 111 in your mind, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Across the table from me is Carlos Braceros, our executive director. How are you? I am doing well, thank you. He's in a fun mood today. I think when we put headphones and a microphone in front of him, he, uh, he enjoys himself a little more than some of our other guests do. Seven and a half days. Seven and a half days until what? The end of the legislative session. Oh my gosh, that's why he's happy. <laughs> Seven and a half days, everybody. And uh, at the table to my right, my uh, trusty compadre, podcast compadre, Grant Potter. The Millennial Prince. The Millennial Prince, MP. as we're calling him. <laughs> GP, the MP, or the Millennial Prince, Grant Potter. And next to him is our wonderful Director of Strategic Communications, Elizabeth Waite. Now you're going to have to say hi. She just bowed, but we're going to make you say Nobody hi. Nobody can see you bow. I think they can, though. Hi. Okay. <laughs> so welcome. We're glad you guys are back. Hopefully, we're getting some new listeners out here. My mom's been um, giving the link to her friends, so I think we're going to have a couple new listens. And hopefully, I don't know if Lori is, uh, is one of our well, devoted listeners. Ever after, since you've made her a famous celebrity uh, with the opening for the awards program at our annual conference, she's been looking for all opportunities good. to participate. Okay, good. Well, we'll have her listen, and, and maybe one of these days we'll have her in as, the, as our podcast guest. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> we may not be ready for oh, that. Oh, my gosh. We love Carlos's wife, Lori. She's awesome. She did help us out quite a bit at the annual conference, which was, which was fun for us. So, Carlos, um, we've invited you here today. Some, sometimes we have you come in and we talk about policy or we talk about new things that are happening at the department, new directions that we're going. This is a little bit different. We've got kind of a big day coming up. Yep. March 23rd, folks. March 23rd. What is March 23rd? Well, March 23rd is the birthday of the Utah Department of Transportation. Now, we didn't start with that name. We've had several names in the meantime, but it was back... 111 years ago, on March 23rd, when the state legislature and the governor decided it was time for an organization to take care of transportation in the state of Utah. So 1909. 1909. years ago. And we're going to have this celebration. What's the celebration about? Well, it's really about recognizing the great people we have working at the Department of Transportation. It's really about... Um, you know, think about what is a birthday for? It's about honoring people. It's about recognizing a milestone. And it's about a celebration, a celebration of life. In our case, here at the Department of Transportation, it's a celebration of the people that make UDOT what it is today. It's also an acknowledgement and a celebration of those that have come before us. When you think about all that we do today, uh, it's only possible because we're standing on the shoulders of some really remarkable people. And uh, we want to remember them. We want to appreciate the people we have working at the department today. And quite honestly, um, get excited about the amazing future we have in front yeah, of us. And we do. We've got a very storied history. We'll talk a little bit about that today, but also really bright future, I think. Um, 
So we're going to do this a little bit differently too, Carlos. It's I, we, we gather once a year at annual conference where we're, most of our employees are able to come to annual conference and physically be in the same location. This is going to be different though. Why? Well, we're going to try to bring, make this an opportunity for all of our employees to come together in some way. Now, it's not practical for us all to come together in one place. As much as I'd love to do that, it's not really that, um, doesn't make that much sense. So we're going to try to bring everyone to, together in a virtual way here at the complex, the Calvin Rampton complex. Some people think it's strange that we call it the complex. Yeah, we do. We uh, do, though. We headquarters, have a, we have whatever. We, we have a strange <laughs> complex, but uh, we're the building I work in. Um, we're going to want to bring together as many people as we can to that building, but we're also going to live cast it or simulcast it mm-hmm. uh, around the state so uh, folks can come together in smaller groups at our different region offices as well as some uh, other areas of the state where it might even not be practical to come to those region offices. So bringing people together to say thank you for all you do and to have a little bit of fun. Yeah, and I and I think it's going to be fun. One of the one of the things that we get that we that we're going to have at this party is something that's at every party cake cake got to have cake got to have cake now i got to tell your listeners here matt you know when the when matt was brainstorming on what he wanted to do he asked me can we have explosions why not right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and of course you know the answer was no no most explosions of, matt. most of the things i asked for from carlos get a pretty strong no i asked for a popcorn machine sleeping pods <laughs> Cereal bars, you know. There's no sleeping in transportation. There's no sleeping in transportation. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, so we're all these different locations. We're going to make sure the communications team is going to make sure that we are broadcasting. We're going to be on YouTube live, which is how we broadcast our commission meetings. Yep. And uh, locations across the straight, uh, excuse me, across the state, uh, all of our regions have the link, they'll be able to log in and, and see what we're experiencing here at the at the complex. Yeah, we hope you have you can take the chance to participate. It's not going to take a lot of your time, and I hope it's something that will be fun for you, but also will allow you an opportunity to um, get to know your Department of Transportation a little better, um, understand a little bit of the history, and be proud about where we all work. Yeah, I'm proud. I like being here. Um, five years. I've been here five years. Can you believe that? It's been almost five years. But this is the first time that we've actually ever talked about a birthday. Why now? Well, you know, we, uh, we were looking back in history. We have not done a good job as an organization keeping track of our history. We're the type of place that does things, gets things done. And what do we do? We look to the next thing we need to work on. And so we're always forward looking. We don't take enough time to sit back and recognize what we've been able to accomplish. And we've never even known when we were created as an organization. And we started asking this question last year, quite honestly. And, uh, you know, 110 almost sounded like a better milestone. We actually thought it was actually the 100th year. I remember that. And uh, so we're, I was getting all excited. And I thought, 100 years, this is perfect. We're going to have a great birthday party and event. And it's a nice milestone to mark. And uh, then we realized it was 10 years off. (laughs) (laughs) Missed it by that much. And uh, we uh, kind of lost the enthusiasm there, and it snuck up on us pretty quick. So, you know, if we don't start somewhere, we'll never start. And so I just wanted to, you know, put a marker in the sand and say, you know what? This is when we started as an organization. Well, and 111 has a nice ring to it. I think it's pretty cool. 111. That's one, one, the, one. you know, we've this podcast is our 111th exactly. podcast, now, right? Now you can see how it comes back full circle. <laughs> That's why Carlos said it's 111th. But Grant made sure to let us know 
number 28. So thank you, Grant. Even though we'll, in spirit, we're the 111th. Exactly. We just need more people to come on the podcast to get 111 episodes. Those of you that haven't had a chance, step forward. It's a lot of fun. And uh, Matt here is really uh, fun to work with. Matt Allred at Utah.gov. Just email me. I'll get you a spot. So, Carlos, you, you mentioned this a little bit earlier. We all haven't always been Utah. We haven't always been the Department no. of Transportation. No, we've been known by several names. Um, you know, so we're not like Prince. Um, we are the Utah <laughs> Department of Print Transportation. We are the department formerly known as, as, as uh, the State Road Commission, March 23rd, 1909. So that's what we started as. That was our original name, the State Road Commission. And it's really interesting, the folks that served on that commission, the governor was the chair of the of commission, yep. the state engineer, the state treasurer, representatives from the University of Utah, and get this, the Utah State Agricultural College. Huh. I wonder what that became. <laughs> <laughs> Some school up north. Some I school think. up north, the Aggies. Um, so here's what's interesting. We were talking about this yesterday, Carlos, and, and in 1909, there weren't a lot of cars on Utah roads. Nope. Um, in fact, uh, Jessica Gonzalez in, in our group had done some figures for you. You asked me to reach out to her, and she gave me these numbers. Just so you, everybody out there understands, this wasn't a big thing back then. So in 1900, in the entire United States, there were 4,192 cars on the road. That's it, 4,192 cars. By 1913, which is the, the number, and, and the reason we use 1913 is because uh, you have a picture. Yep, and I'll talk, I'll talk a little bit about that because the period of which Utah, UDOT was created was a period of fast change. You know, and I talk about change right now, but the rate of change that was taking place, especially in transportation, was remarkable. So I've got a picture that I use in uh, some presentations that shows New York City, so downtown Manhattan, Fifth Avenue, on Easter morning, 1901. So remember, Matt said that there was only 4,000 cars in 1900. In 1901, this picture of Fifth Avenue shows all horse and buggies, and you can almost see what looks like a car out of all these horse and buggies. Not a, really a single car out there. By 1913, there wasn't a single horse and buggy on that same picture, that same section of road on Easter morning of 1913, but there was 485,000 cars in the country at that time. So think about that. UDOT was created 1909 during this period of time when we went from traveling by horse and buggy to automobiles, a yeah. period of rapid change. Well, and, and I think the number I wrote down there is 11,000, what is it, 11,469% growth in just those 13 years. And so um, it's, it's really amazing how quickly the state got on this and realized we need, we need a commission that is going to start to handle right. this. I mean, we, had, um, we didn't have a lot of cars, but we had a lot of roads throughout the state. And you look at a lot of the roads that we are presently using today that are paved roads um, were roads that were created by, you know, getting farm products to market, uh, people to all parts of the state. You know, mining was a big activity. And so our road network was sort of put in place based on necessity, um, but there wasn't, they weren't really built to accommodate the vehicles that we couldn't imagine at the time. So, um, you know, and back, so do you want me to go through a little more history? Yeah, yeah go through a little more history because I just, think I want people to understand just the, the, the transgression of how we got to where we became mm -hmm. the Department of Transportation. Right. So uh, how many of you still use a highway map in your glove box? 
I'm, look, I'm looking. At, I have one. I'm looking at the MP over here. The Millennial he, Prince carries one because when the Millennial Prince is camping, sometimes you don't have cell service. He don't. He don't have cell service. He don't have no cell service, so he's got to take out a map. And so one of the functions of the Department of Transportation, I'm using that term because, but at that time it was the State Road Commission, was the creation of the roadmap. The first roadmap came out in 1910, and uh, I'd love to have a copy of that roadmap. And uh, we're, yeah, we're, we're looking we're, for we're one. We're looking for one. I think it'd be fascinating to see it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the, the, the state of Utah joined the national effort to create a numbered highway system in the 1920s. And uh, we then transitioned in that period of time. We're still trying to nail it down, but to what was referred to as the Department of Engineering. So from so the State Road state Commission road to, Department of to the Department of Engineering. And, uh, you know, so we were working hard at that time, building roads, maintaining roads. Um, and then really the next big milestone is the 1950s. And, you know, I think we're all familiar with Dwight Diaz at Eisenhower's trip across this country uh, when he was uh, a colonel in the United States Army. He had come from World War II where he had experienced the Audubon. And he was charged with taking a company of, uh, of uh, military across this country, and they just got bogged down. It took months. They got bogged down in the mud, and they weren't really able to effectively transport across this uh, country. And really, he was the, looked at as the father of the interstate highway system in the 1950s and uh, launched us on that effort. Uh, we became the Utah Department of Transportation in 1975, and really that's a recognition that we are starting to take on other functions. We weren't just doing roads um, and bridges. We were also getting involved in things like transit, even then active transportation, ferry system, aviation, and so we became a much more comprehensive department at that time. Yeah. I think the last state to become a Department of Transportation was Nebraska about a year and a half ago. Really? They were the Department of Roads, and they just became a Department of wow. Transportation. But I think all DOT, all states are now called the Department of Transportation. That's, yeah. Yeah, and, and we've, we've been around as the Department of Transportation for a long time. And you mentioned a couple of things that I think are also a, a part of our future as well. You, you mentioned active transportation, and we'll talk mm -hmm. about that in a minute, and, and aer, um, aeronautics and things like that, which are a huge part of what our future looks like. But it's important to note that at that point in 1975, that's when they kind of tasked us with, with being in charge of all of it. Yep. Including yep. the ferry. Including the ferry. We love our We ferry. call it a ferry system. We have one ferry. We have one ferry. <laughs> hey, that's all you need. Now, so we're talking a lot of history. Some people may not be super excited about the history. Why, why is it important for us to recognize that history, Carlos? Well, I used to love history in school. And um, it's some, I, to me, it was the stories about people and understanding where people have come from and uh, what it takes to get to where we are today. We learn from history. We learn and understand what people went through to do what they you know, had to do to, in order to be successful in their mission. When I think about the work to design the bridges and the roadways and the tools that they had back then compared to what we have today, it is remarkable. You know, I, I came into the organization at a period when we were in a transition from doing a lot of the design work by hand and uh, to a period now when it's, you know, it's quite automated, quite, it's much more automated. I'm sure the people doing it today would say, no, it still takes engineering, yeah, but, and it does, of course. Um, but we need to learn from where we've come from. 
and understand why things happened and for what reasons. And also, I, I really think it's important that we appreciate those people. I like to say we stand on the shoulders of those that came before us. We couldn't do what we do without you know, the thousands of people working for this department, um, doing things in the right way that allow us the ability to do what we do. Yeah. And you know, when we think about the future and how we prepare for the future, we're going to be successful if we learn the lessons from the past. I think it's also important to be proud of, of, of who we are. And uh, I want to celebrate the people of the Utah Department of Transportation. And we've got some great people here. Amazing, amazing people. people. Here. Really, amazing. really cool. Yeah. You, so you talked about when, when you first started here at the department, one of the things you mentioned yesterday was you were working at a drafting table. Um, <laughs> you know, or, or survey groups. Tell me some of the things you've been here. 30, is this your 33rd year? Uh, June will be 34. 34 years. Um, what big changes have you seen come through the department since you started work here? You know, it's, uh, it's a little scary to think about it because I still think I'm a kid. And my wife, Lori, still believes I act like a kid. He's not, though, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I can pretend, Matt. I, I like to pretend that I am too, but I am reminded by my kids I'm not a kid anymore. <laughs> um, but when I joined the department, it was actually my second career, so I can't even say I started out of college. But I started in 86, and we were, you know, and I'll put it in the context of design. I spent time in construction as well. Um, but in design, we sat at big drafting tables. Um, we did most of the design work by hand. Uh, we did have, you know, the trusty HP calculator to do the calculations, um, but I, you know, I learned to draw. I learned to do Leroy lettering and to uh, prepare plan sets uh, by hand. I still have the election, electric racer that I used at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure why I have that. I'm, you know, it might come into uh, into service here soon. I'm sure, um, but we were doing everything by hand. And then to think of the transition, soon after that point, we brought in the first CAD system, and it was meant to be the 1D computer-aided drafting. And it was a company, Digenetics, out of uh, Albuquerque, New, uh, New Mexico. And they were brought in, and we thought we would do summary sheets on those. And that would be basically make big spreadsheets, but pictures of spreadsheets. And we soon learned that we could do design elements on there. And we started designing roads on there. And it became a tool that we couldn't imagine using, not using. And you think about the way we surveyed back then. You know, We'd go out there with survey crews. We'd cross-section the roadway. Or we'd get aerial photography, and it would take months to be able to prepare the contours because we would then extract the cross-section information off those contours by hand doing cross-sections. And uh, today, most of that process is automated, and it's just changed the way we design projects. It's sped things up tremendously. The accuracy is so much better. Yeah. It's, we've come a long way. And what I still maintain is a very short period of time. Well, one of, the, one of the things that I thought was pretty cool yesterday, you were talking about that computer with me, <laughs> and you said you, you pretty much had to line up and sign in and, and take your, wait for your turn to use the one computer. Well, the first, the first, when we first got here, the f only computers, there was a couple workstations for what was called the Wang word processing system, and the only one who had them was a few secretaries on each floor. And we would write everything up by hand, 
and hand it to the secretaries, and they would enter it into this uh, word processing system. This was before WordPerfect. But when the first PC showed up, and uh, you know, it was almost a novelty, and it was put, you know, we had, I think, three of them on the entire fourth floor. And uh, you would have to stand in line to wait to use it. And we were trying to figure out, how do you, what do you use this thing for in our job? And we were figuring that stuff out. That's awesome. It's so different from how, <laughs> especially today's workforce. I, I look at, and I'm not much older than Grant, but I think even Grant being 10 years younger than I am, you grew up and, and the way you went to high school was drastically different than the way it was that I did. Yeah, we had... We got like a computer lab when I was in elementary school, and then we had a computer lab in high school. But even in high school, it was wasn't until like my junior year that we had that we were required to type things up and print them out and turn them in. My freshman and sophomore year, we still wrote in cursive and turned all our. Well, and 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 my kids, you know, I've got somebody in high school, and I've got one in junior high and in elementary, and. Even the one in elementary, they're turning things in on Google Classroom now. They don't even turn in paper anymore. And so it's amazing that we see these short little jumps. And, right. and for me to think, man, 33 years ago, we were barely at having a computer here at the department. And now... And so think about what the next 33 oh, three years yeah. is going to be. It's, it, the, ch- the rate of change will be even faster than that change we've just experienced. And so that's why it's so important for all of us to be thinking about what are we doing today to prepare ourselves and the people we work with for that future work environment. Because the expectations for this department will continue to evolve. You know, we're being asked every year to do more and more things that we never thought would be associated with, you know, building roads and bridges. And I can guarantee you we're going to be asked to do even more into the future. Of course. What are a couple more things? I, I, I love this history side of it, of somebody who's actually lived through uh, some of these changes, and, and you had—I mean, we had a whole list of stuff going on yesterday. Just, what are some of the other things that you that have stood out as big changes that have happened here in the department? Well, I think you—you know—think of surveying. I mentioned it earlier. You know, survey crews, where I was first uh, started out, was uh, staking alignments, but working on a survey crew could be ten to twelve people, sometimes even bigger, depending on how big a construction project you were trying to work on. And today, you know, you can do the work of that survey crew with a, a single person can go out there, yeah. or you could, you could LIDAR it with a drone or, you know, by, you know, driving a vehicle down the road and collect way more accurate information than we ever could out there surveying. And, you know, if you, you think about the, you know, the risk to our employees and, you know, from, you know, we talk all the time, the safety of our employees is the most important thing. And if you take the time to go out and look at the, the monument we have out here on the patio, you know, recognizing employees that have lost their lives, surveyors are overly represented out there. Yeah. And so by not having to have our folks exposed in the traffic that way, it's been a great evolution for, for their safety as yeah, well. It's been great. But just think of email. I mean, is email something that everyone thinks was always there? I mean, sometimes I wish it wasn't there, right? When you, you think you get caught up and you turn away for 15 minutes and you're... 15 emails when you come back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but, I mean, there was no such thing as emails. You know, we had a single phone for seven of us in a design squad, hardline phone. And, you know, taking messages on the phone was a big deal. So the entire communication, the way we communicate with people, was it took much longer. And um, today we don't even think about texting anyone at any time and expecting an immediate response. Yeah, of course. 
Yeah. So I think that's a big change, and it's affected all parts of our society, but it's definitely affected the way we do our business, and it's affected the way our customer expects to interact with us as a department. Well, and it makes us more aware of exactly what the customer needs are and how do we, how do, we do better customer service. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were talking about some of the, to me, the interesting stuff was the changes in our responsibilities. Yeah. Like how, do, how has the responsibility since you've been here changed with the Department of Transportation? You know, so when you think about, you know, the different milestones, I mentioned the interstate system late, um, earlier. You know, we really just finished the interstate system up um, in the 1980s. I had a chance to work on I-215 as a designer and on I-70 as a designer. But from that point forward, I, the legislature asked a really interesting question. They said, well, you finished the interstate, and now we're gonna, we think you're, you're not going to build any more roads. Well, that was wrong. <laughs> um, and you need to reorganize. And that was really the point at which, you know, we went through a reorganization back in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, where we went from six district offices down to four region offices. You know, the big change was for what's now known as Region 4. We had district offices in Price, Cedar City, and in Richfield. Um, and so we consolidated that into one region office in Richfield with some um, district offices, much smaller operations, mostly permitting operations out in Price and Cedar. Um, we're starting to expand more where the population growth is taking place. But that was a big reorganization. And I think one of the things that people should recognize, at that point, the decision was made. We had the conscious decision between efficiency or customer responsiveness. And the decision was we wanted to be responsive to our customers. And so we became, at that time, we used the term a decentralized organization. And if you look at the functions we have at our region, we really have most of the functions at our region that touch our people, our citizens, and our communities. So that decision was made back then that we are going to be customer-focused. And to do that, we would become a decentralized organization. So I still believe in that idea of uh, moving the decision-making as close as possible to the people that are affected by those decisions. Um, But some of the changes that have taken place in terms of the additional responsibilities we've been given as an organization, you know, I could go to the the motor carriers division, you know, ports of entry. That was a function that was primarily housed in the Department of Public Safety, and that moved over into the department in the early 90s, and that became a responsibility for us. Avalanche control in our canyons, that wasn't something we always did. The U.S. Forest Service was in charge of avalanche control, and uh, they passed that responsibility over to us. You know, there wasn't a transit system, a a rail transit system built in our our state, you know, and today we're the beneficiaries of five light rail lines, of a 100-mile commuter rail line. We have two BRT systems operating in the state and a uh, uh, um, trolley system. We have the responsibility for the safety oversight over the light rail system. Um, that is a, a big responsibility for this department. So we have that we have that new responsibility. Uh, last session, we were given the opportunity. I'll call it an opportunity to have safety oversight over amusement parks. And, explain, and no, explain I why. don't get to ride amusement park <laughs> rides now. Well, I want people to understand why, like how this transitioned, because yeah. uh, there was something called the called ropeways. 
right? And yes. and ropeways, I think, it, to correct me if I'm wrong, the, it, the tram system or ski lifts are part of a ropeway system. Yeah, so we, we have the rope, it's called the ropeway committee. So it's a, it's a committee of experts. And we have one of our engineers, Brian Allen, who is basically administers that program. But we have the safety oversight over all the chairlifts and trams, um, even the chairlift in Lagoon Park. Now, it, this is where I think and the this is where part This is how we got okay. tied into this. So there's very few states in the country. I think it's six states now that do not have some form of safety oversight over amusement parks. Hmm. And uh, Representative Potter was very interested in finding a, um, was trying to correct that and felt that we had a responsibility as a state to provide some oversight there. And um, Lagoon, which is a very professional organization, um, suggested strongly that that, because it was going to the Department of Labor, and it's in the Department of Labor in a bunch of different states, um, but they suggested strongly that since they felt a lot of trust in UDOT, and they had a good working relationship with UDOT because of the ropeway committee. Of course. They wanted it to go to UDOT to take this amusement mm. park oversight. And that became the big driver behind this. And um, we weren't quite sure until I was convinced by the president of the Senate <laughs> that this was a good idea. Um, <laughs> we'll take it. And right. so we'll we, take and it. you know what? This, you know what this represents? This represents the trust that we have as an organization. You know, when, pe when they look around, who's going to get it done? Um, that's who they give it that's to. who they give it to you dot it's the same way as when we went to the governor about a year and a half ago you know there was a whole new idea of these drones and you know do you need to administer airspace for package delivery or people flying in drones and we went to the governor and we said you know who do you want what agency do you want to take the lead and he said well who else would it be you know, and so UDOT became, you know, has has been granted that responsibility. And in fact, that was uh, codified as part of this year's legislation. It is a function for us. Yeah. So, you know, airports, you know, it's another area that we've expanded our, uh, our responsibility in. And uh, this year, there's been a lot of discussion. And I believe the bill will get through, but we'll still see it's still not completed is there's a bill to give us the responsibility for electric charging infrastructure. Hmm. I mean, who would have thought that would be something we would be doing. So we continue to see the um, the legislature and the governors asked this department to do more and more. And the one thing I'm sure of is they're going to continue to ask us to do more because of you guys just get it done. Well, and, and I like that you just said it's, it's trust. I think when you trust somebody to, mm -hmm. to get the job done and you know it's going to happen, you give them more and more responsibilities. And so I, I know some of us, you know, wipe our head and go, oh, seriously, more? <laughs> more. But I, it, it really is a sign that, that we're doing things right. And, and, and that goes out to our employees. Just like Oliver Twist said, right? What was that? Please, sir, may I have some more? <laughs> I don't know if many of us are asking for more, but we'll take it when they give it to us. That's for sure. Any other big changes you think you've seen? Well, you know, you know I could go down a list. You know, and it's easy for me to look at projects when I think of changes. You know, obviously, you know, the interstate system, Bangor Highway. Bangor Highway didn't exist when I yeah. first started here. Um, I had a chance to participate in the design in multiple of those sections. Uh, some of the lively discussions on the environmental process, on the location of where it should be. The Centennial Highway Program, you know, we, we call it the CHEF Program, really started in the 1996 
41 plot projects plus I-15, $3.6 billion of projects across the state um, that you couldn't imagine our state without those projects in place. Think of I-15 in Salt Lake County. It was three lanes in each direction yeah. with antiquated interchanges, frontage roads too close to the interchanges to make them work. Can you imagine that highway if we hadn't done that? Um, Legacy Parkway, um, you know, that, that's near and dear to me, having spent four years of my life embedded on that project team. Um, again, another project that took a lot of willpower from this organization to be able to see it through. And uh, you could not imagine this community to the north without the Legacy Parkway in place. Mountain View Corridor. Yeah. How many states are building new interstate standard free, you know, freeways in urban areas? It's just remarkable. You know, that's currently under construction now. But connected signal system. Yeah. Can you imagine when we tell people that we have over 90% of every traffic signal in this state connected through fiber optics? to the same system, whether it be state, city, or county, they just roll their eyes. They can't even imagine how you even start to do that. And it was something we started in the 90s, and we just put our heads down, and we kept moving forward, and it's paying dividends today. Yeah. It's you know, amazing. It's amazing what we've done. What about changes in type of people we're seeing here or the, yeah, the level that, that of our is, employees? And, you know, that's, that's a really good point, Matt. You, uh, I'm gonna have to be careful how I say this because I'm sitting here in a white shirt and a tie, um, but it was a typical engineering organization, and um, you know it was a almost a military structure in terms of how it was set up, and it was old white male. Yeah, I'll be frank, and. I guess I'm sitting here, and I'm probably an old white male, but um, <laughs> I don't look like any of that. <laughs> Guarantee it. Um, it was a great place to work, but you look around today, and well, first, when you looked around at that time where the women were, they were sitting behind typewriters. Yeah. Um, when I sat in our leadership team this morning, and you look around the table, it was a pretty even mix of yeah. women and men. Uh, this organization has a much better gender balance. Uh, we have a ways to go still, but it's much better. We're much more diverse than we were before. Uh, we even allow people like, you know, communicators. Can you imagine? I can't imagine. More of us. <laughs> but, but there's all different types of functions, expertise within our organization to help us do the jobs we need to do. We've recognized that this isn't, an engineering organization. This is a transportation organization. Yeah. This is a people organization. A people organization. The, my my favorite thing that you said yesterday when we were talking about this is that um, you'd you'd mentioned the women and women were secretaries and you just bluntly said today women are leaders, and that was a fact. And you just mentioned that leadership meeting this morning was that. Yep, absolutely. We've got am amazing people across the board in this department, and, and it's critical for our success that when we look. <clears throat> to build our team, <clears throat> when we look to bring in people to join us, that we don't look to bring in people that look sound and come from the same backgrounds as we are. We have to challenge ourselves. A lot of times that's a comfortable thing to do. <clears throat> when we hear people that sound like us, we're comfortable. It reaffirms our position in life. We should make sure that we find people 
that are different than us, that challenge us to think a little differently. Um, we will be a better organization. We will be better people if we can surround ourselves who think differently than we do. Yeah. Just, it makes us healthier. It's the, Absolutely. The, there's strength in the team when we're all thinking mm -hmm. a little bit differently. So we should, we should come up with a book called Strength. What, what do you think, Matt? Find, find, if we could find, find strengths, some strengths in people. Strengths finder. Hey, hey, there's one out there. <laughs> we use it. You guys will hear more about Strengths Finder later. <laughs> That'll be episode 112. 112. Um, or 29. <laughs> just one of them. Um, Carlos, what, what can we expect to see in the future? I think we've talked about history and, and you've we've talked it's it's important that we have our history because that's where we stand on there's such a good foundation here right now it's 2020 we've got this amazing foundation we just talked about how amazing our employees are what a good job we do the trust that we have with our government with the legislature the trust we have with the public has never been better than it is today what does that lead us to going down the road? Well, what it's going to lead us to is the ability to be more innovative, to be able to ask questions. What if I tried this? Would this work better? Because without that foundation of trust, we could never push the envelope and try new and better things. And we're never going to evolve at a pace that we have to evolve unless we're willing to step out and be innovative. You know, we're going to use some of the currency sometimes. Sometimes, believe it or not, yes, we will make mistakes. But the only people that don't make mistakes are the people that do nothing. And this yeah. Department of Transportation does a lot. We try. A and lot. we do a lot of things. So um, we're going to keep pushing forward. What that means is as the world around us changes, as technology changes, as the expectations of the public change of what, they're, what they want their communities to be, we're going to continue to evolve to be an agency that looks to, within the realm of our expertise, within the realm of our resources. We look for the abilities to help those citizens, those communities thrive. Yeah. And if we can help be part of developing thriving communities, this state is going to continue to be the envy of the country and the place that we all want to live in and raise our families in. That was perfectly said, Carlos. I think that's the best way to end this podcast. And, um, I just want to thank you for being here. I know your schedule's busy, especially during the legislative session. Your schedule's busy, but um, you've made, this is a big deal to you. This birthday's a big deal to you. You know, it is because the people of UDOT are a big deal to me. And so I wanted to take the chance to say thank you and to celebrate a little with them and have some fun. And have some fun. So join us on March 23rd. And eat some cake. Eat some cake. We'll have it. We might have a little something special for people. We'll keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Carlos, do you want to, uh, I, I usually say, as well, Carlos would say, do you want to send us off here? As we go out here, I just hope everybody knows what's important to me, and I hope it's important to all of you. I want everyone to be safe out there. So please, when you travel our great roads, put your phone down, buckle up, and be safe out there, everybody. Let's have some fun. Thanks, Carlos. <laughs>